Welcome to Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXL AM and FM, streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find all our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. Revisit some of the great shows from the past. Think about the summit conferences between President Putin and the great Orange Cheeto in the White House. We're also a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. So no matter where you are, day or night, if you are one of the 1% of people uh, who are uh, going on the airlines why, and you're flying to some foreign place, you can podcast us. It's the 21st century and we're with you everywhere. We're very pleased today to welcome uh, to Off the Record, Andrew Volinsky, New, a New Hampshire Executive Counselor. Andrew, welcome to Off the Record. It's wonderful to be here. It's nice to see you, Paul. Matt, it's been quite a while. Uh, I hope you're doing well. Absolutely. And uh, for our listeners, because we're all hunkered in our bunkers, we're recording this via Zoom in various locales in our homes. I won't bother to describe the backgrounds we've got on our Zoom, but I'll tell you mine. It's a picture of the White House. And in the White House over my shoulder, my Zoom compatriots can see me and Pego. Uh, it's taken a while ago, but it seemed appropriate given the political season we're in. So Andrew, let's get right to it. Earlier this week, there was a very interesting executive council meeting uh, and it was all about um, transparency in COVID-19 fund spending. What happened? What was that about? You led a fascinating discussion. It, it was an interesting council meeting, I will say. So the, the state of New Hampshire is slated to receive a billion plus in federal CARES Act bailout money. And for me, it's important that the money be deployed in a transparent, fair way to help as many people in New Hampshire as possible. Uh, the governor takes a different approach. The governor thinks that he alone, with no input from anyone who's not part of his insider group, should make the decisions on where this money goes. And so those two opposing views came to a head um, at the council meeting earlier this week um, when I realized that the governor cannot withdraw money from the treasury unless under the constitution, the council gives its advice and consent. I don't think the governor was aware of that constitutional provision, even though he's a former counselor. So in heading, planning for the council meeting about 10 days earlier, I wrote to the governor and I said, would you just give us some basic information? We're not trying to hold anything up, but you have distributed $50 million to public and private healthcare concerns. Tell us why you gave the money to each of those concerns. So the money's out the door. It's just, what's your rationale? Some of them are obvious, they're hospitals that are suffering, but some are private companies that we wanna be sure need the money. And so the governor gave us 
eight lines on a spreadsheet showing us where the billion dollars was going to go. 200 of that almost is in a contingency that he provides no information for. And then at the meeting, it turns out that he's given Frank Edelblue, the commissioner of education who doesn't support public education, he's given him $53 million to distribute on his own. And so yesterday we were asked to approve the withdrawal of a $950 million from the state treasury. And when it came up, I said, governor, we need this information. And the governor hemmed and he hawed and he didn't provide it. And so I moved to table the warrant article, which is how you remove the money until May 20th. But first I asked the commissioner who handles this, can we still get the money out the door in June if this is delayed till May 20th? And he said, yes, that's not a problem. And I said, fine, I'm tabling this. Let's take a vote. And four counselors, three Dems and one Republican voted with me to delay the, re the release of this money so that Sununu could do his homework. And so, so go ahead, Matt. So Indra, for our, for our national listeners, because our listenership is uh, largely in New Hampshire, but, but also uh, across the country. So just taking a step back, so you're an executive counselor and that means that you know, New Hampshire has a, a, an unusual government structure in that you know, there are sort of five lieutenant governors and you yes. occupy one of those positions. And so it sounds like what you're saying is that you're providing a degree of oversight here of uh, getting information to the public about what's happening with COVID-19 relief funds. And so that sort of mirrors some of what we've seen unfold on a national level as well uh, in recent weeks with all the money that's been pouring out for relief. Is, is, is that what's, what's happening here? Yeah, it's appropriate to think of the Executive Council as New Hampshire's Board of Directors. And so what CEO gets to control a billion dollars worth of money without explaining it to the Board of Directors? And of course, each of us represents about 300,000 people. So there's a large constituency and they need to be confident that the money's going to the right places. It's a lot of money, it's important that we get this right. And rather than being cooperative and collaborative, the governor's since gone on radio and engaged in this unhinged, I gotta say, rant, claiming that no one cares about the executive council and that the executive council is killing people. It is the most ridiculous fear-mongering. In this time of uncertainty, leadership is more and more important, and Sununu is showing us he is less and less capable of providing it. Well, you know, the governor has been uh, walking, trying to walk a very fine line in New Hampshire. Uh, he has tried <clears throat> mightily to stay away from being tagged with the Trumpian brush. He's, he's you know, he, he's, he's um, been very, very adept at uh, trying to appear that he is 
independent. It sounds like the challenge to his authority that the executive council raised um, hit, a, hit a nerve, assuming uh, I haven't heard the radio broadcast that you're talking about, but that sounds kind of Trumpian, not even Trumpian light. It sounds like it's a Trumpanunu. It, 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 it seems to take things into a, an atmosphere and a challenge to the authority of the executive council, which number one is incorrect given our constitutional scheme. Uh, in New Hampshire, we have, let, let's say, a, a, a constrained executive constrained by an executive council, which as we've talked about, acts like a board of directors. Um, is, is this, what's the relationship between the action that the council took to hold up the 900 plus million dollars and the recent lawsuit that the legislature filed? Is there a relationship? How do they relate? Um, so the, the legislature as a constitutional matter should be a part of off-budget appropriations. And that's what this COVID money is. We've gotten money that we didn't expect. It should go through something called the Fiscal Committee of the legislature. And Sununu has cut them out completely and they went to court. And for me, you know, you guys know I'm, I'm a lawyer and I'm working hard against type, but my first instinct was that court doesn't help. We need to make clear what the governor is doing and force his hand on accountability. And the courts can only do so much. So the legislature lost and now there's a reconsideration and all kinds of complex litigation going on with the legislature and Sununu the council's not part of that. We're actually, I'm a member of the same executive branch that Sununu is in. And for him to keep confidential in financial information about the fitness of hospitals and healthcare providers is ridiculous. Number one, it undermines trust in him because he can give out money to his corporate cronies but number two, I make decisions every other week on where to send resources based on how healthy our healthcare providers are. So if, if he's keeping information from us that a hospital is failing or that there's a need to plug a hole, first of all, I can help with that. But second of all, it keeps me from doing my job effectively. And as you call him constrained, New Hampshire has a very special form of government. And the role of governor is to be collaborator in chief. And Sununu hates that model. This is a total power grab and it is very Trumpian. Well, it, it certainly smacks of the same tactics. It's the my way or the highway approach to government that's gotten us in so much trouble on the on the federal level. Now, in New Hampshire, generally, if you read the press and talk to folks, a lot of folks are 
saying, gee, the governor's done a pretty good job on the COVID monies, given he's up there doing press conferences and he's, you know, he's taking us cautiously into reopening. Um, but this sounds like something that's very deep and very important and very critical. And it's more, it's about more than just style. It's about real substance because if the executive in New Hampshire styles himself an authoritarian who can do whatever he want because there's an uh, emergency, it undermines the, the entire fabric of the constitutional scheme of our form of government. Well, yeah, but it also has practical implications. So the governor has told the public that the $50 million is being lent to these healthcare providers for no interest. But I got a copy of the loan documents and he has in his sole discretion, the ability to convert these loans to grants. So he's given himself the ability to give away $50 million of New Hampshire taxpayer money and is being blatantly uh, oblique, obtuse, non-transparent about why he's giving it to one concern and not to another. And so by holding up the 900 plus million dollars, which I assume was non-COVID money, Am I correct? No, it's 508 million general fund and 450 in COVID. Ah, so it, that was a mix. Yeah. This, this is a very complicated scenario. And uh, ultimately, uh, it seems like the power uh, lies in the bipartisan executive council. And what's really interesting uh, in the few minutes that we have left, Andrew, and really we just have what, about a minute left, is talk a little bit about the bipartisan nature of this vote and why that's so important. Right. The current split on the council is three to two. There are three Democrats, Deb Pignatelli from Nashua, Mike Cryans from uh, the Upper Valley and me. There are two Republicans, uh, Ted Gatzis from Manchester and Russ Prescott from the Seacoast. On this vote, it was the three Democrats plus Russ Prescott, a Republican. And it was done for all the right reasons. And Sununu's going out there and bashing this as a political decision demeans him. This is Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXLAM and FM. We've been talking with Executive Counselor Andrew Valinsky about recent goings on to hold the governor accountable for how the taxpayer money in New Hampshire is spent. Andrew, thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Paul. Wonderful to see you, Matt, as well. Be safe, stay healthy. We'll do this you again. You too. We'll do this again. Nice to have you folks. We're going to take a short break and we'll be back after this to talk to State Senator Dan Feltus about what's going on at the State Senate. Don't go away. Welcome back to Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson here on WKXLAM and FM.
streamed live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, where you can find all our shows archived for your binge listening pleasure. And we are a podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes for all of you hunkered in bunkers. And for those of you around the planet, wherever you may roam, you can now find us on your personal digital devices. We are joined this segment by Dan Feltis, the state senator for District 15, representing Concord, Warner, Henniker, and Hopkinton, where hurricanes hardly ever happen. Dan, welcome to Off the Record. Thanks, Paul and Matt. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. How are you two doing? We're good. So um, tell us, tell us briefly, how is Family Feltis holding up? We're doing good. You know, look, we're uh, like most other families, our, our daycare is temporarily closed. And um, so Aaron and I and, and the girls, Iris and Josie, are uh, Aaron and I are trading off. Iris and Josie uh, are here with us. It's a silver lining. Everybody's healthy. That's good. Um, and uh, just doing the best we can to, to work hard, continue to elevate the issues that people care about, provide constructive solutions to some of the issues and challenges facing uh, us collectively, and um, you know, do the best to reach out to people and, and to listen to people. There's a lot of uh, suffering out there, um, and uh, both in terms of job loss, but also in terms of health. And uh, we we just need to do the best we can to to help out, look out for one another, um, and uh, uh, that's what we're trying to do. Well, these are challenging times, and that's an understatement. I know how, but and I want to talk about about how things are in New Hampshire and what we can do and, and what you're seeing. But I'm, I'm curious to know, how is the state Senate functioning during this pandemic? I mean, I don't think there's ever been a time when people are remote uh, and the legislature is a body that is used to doing its business in person. So how's the state Senate functioning? So there's been two basic concrete areas that uh, something called the Joint Fiscal Committee where the Senate and House meets to uh, approve fiscal issues, budgetary transfers, that kind of thing. The other concrete action that the legislature can take is affirmatively passing a piece of legislation and putting it on the governor's desk. But in terms of the Fiscal Committee, uh, despite it meeting on an ongoing basis, the governor has ignored it, um, doesn't think that it has authority. The same kind of approach he's taken ostensibly with the executive council and so much so that the, there was actually um, litigation uh, from fiscal committee members against Governor Sununu because Sununu took the position that he alone has quote unquote total authority over $1.25 billion in stimulus funds coming into the state. And let me be very clear about this. This case was about making sure that money goes out the door quickly to ordinary people, to middle-class families, to working people and working families and Main Street businesses. And we know what uh, Governor Sununu's plans are. He's talked about the money going overwhelmingly to the private sector and to big business without any strings attached. Um, and you know what, I'm not, I'm not opposed to helping out business. We need to help out business. However, we need to have, make sure that businesses are looking out for their workers. And we need to make sure we look out for businesses that lost out on the Paycheck Protection Program and make sure we look out for Main Street businesses. 
And folks, uh, what we saw during this last crisis, and Paul, you were in Congress and, and took some uh, votes on some of this stuff. Um, right here in New Hampshire, people were getting left behind. Um, you know, ordinary folks uh, left out, left behind. I worked as a legal aid lawyer during that last crisis, helping people get back up on their feet, helping fight against foreclosure from Wall Street banks, foreclosing on Granite Staters all across New Hampshire, helping people get unemployment insurance and healthcare. And the same kind of problems we saw back then and the same folks falling through the cracks are already falling through the cracks right now. And, you know, uh, when you talk about economic relief and recovery, um, that 1.25 billion is part of it. And no one person has a monopoly over good ideas and saying you have total authority over it just doesn't make sense. It's not the New Hampshire way. It's not getting the money out the door quickly to people who need it. And that's what that case was all about, setting aside all the process and whatever. It's about making sure that we look out for ordinary people. And so we're gonna keep fighting on all that um, in terms of like when there's actual bills getting passed again, I think you'll see some movement on that in the near future and, and we need to. And, uh, uh, but you know, right now, you know, working to elevate issues, elevate ideas. And you may have seen a lot of the ideas that we've put out there, including a frontline worker fund for our firefighters, our first responders, grocery store workers, healthcare workers on the front lines. We put that out there April 1. Uh, it took over a month for Governor Sununu to embrace it. And even when he did, he only did, did it in a half measure. Uh, we have put out ideas on unemployment insurance that he has embraced occasionally as a half measure. And we have an unemployment insurance computer system that is not working. Thousands of people, uh, Paul and Matt, are waiting for their very first check still that have been crushed by job loss going all the way back to mid-March. That's not right. Um, and so there are a lot of problems facing the state right now. We're continuing to press on them. And there's probably no more important problem right now than the problem in nursing homes and long-term care facilities. Um, we have 80% of the fatalities in New Hampshire due to COVID-19 have been uh, in our, our long-term care facilities and nursing homes. Nationwide, it's 31%. Um, in large measure, it's because Governor Sununu did not, he did not take the CDC guidelines, he did not take the recommendations to do routine and ongoing testing of both residents and workers in our nursing homes and long-term care facilities. And in fact, the first uh, substantive action he took was not until April 15th, when he gave a no-bid contract on testing uh, that was woefully insufficient to a campaign contributor. Uh, and that's his first substantive step. Now we heard just yesterday that they're gonna do more testing. Um, should have been done weeks ago. And uh, this lack of testing and lack of prioritizing, it's not like this is a secret by the way, that nursing homes and long-term care facilities were at risk. Everybody knew it, everybody was talking about it. We called for widespread testing back in March for weeks, we've been talking about testing all residents and all workers in these facilities and getting comprehensive PPE to the workers. This is not happening in New Hampshire under Governor Christianu. And as a consequence, families uh, are seeing their loved ones uh, in terrible situations and people are getting harmed. And it needs to be addressed right now in a comprehensive way, and it's not. So 
I, we, it's on all of us to keep raising those issues and keep elevating those voices. I've heard from family members who have lost loved ones. I've heard from nursing home and long-term care facilities themselves. It's a major problem in New Hampshire and we need, uh, we can't wait till the next election uh, uh, to solve this. It needs to be solved now. Yeah, you know, it, it, uh, it goes beyond uh, politics. Um, uh, yep. it's, it's, it's not, it, it shouldn't be a political issue. It's a competence issue. It's also a leadership issue. And it is bizarrely reminiscent of what we've been seeing from the White House in terms of cronyism, in terms of the in, refusing to prioritize and caring more about uh, big business than about uh, everyday folks. And that is uh, where leadership comes into play. The, the prospects for the lawsuit are certainly uncertain uh, in terms of uh, trying, to, trying to hold the governor's feet to the fire on what may be competing statutory authority about what what to do. I, I have my own opinion. Um, I'm sorry to see that the Superior Court issued a bizarre ruling uh, on standing in its first go round saying that members, that senior members of the legislature did not have standing um, to challenge the governor's misuse of his authority. So that one of the political challenges is you've got a governor who looks affable on television um, when he stands up and just like the president tells people about all the good things he's he's doing and uh, then that what he's really doing is um, act is taking a, a leaf from the Trump playbook to um, distribute money to 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 his buds um, it's it's a it's a it's kind of a quandary about what what will what will what will work to to get him to really pay attention uh, instead of just saying he's paying attention. No doubt, but I think fundamentally, if you're looking out for people, um, you're going to get get people to to focus in on the problems and to me that's what this is about is and what it's always been about is helping people and it's not press conference and photo ops it's people and you may have seen that governor Sununu even just recently embraced this concept of giving corporations immunity uh if they've uh uh undertaken unsafe conditions for COVID 19 and and workers are called back to work and they get sick and they get hurt uh, and giving corporations immunity for that. Chris Sununu just supported that. Uh, that's putting corporate profits over people. It's something I've never done. It's something I will never do. And if we focus on people and what people are going through, and I'm just doing my best to elevate the voices of people who are in terrible situations right now, both in terms of healthcare and economic situations and sometimes both um, and to try to raise those issues if you focus on people eventually it'll come around to the discussion about people and just it's it's fine to do i don't begrudge him doing press conferences i think that's fine it's just you know there should be some press conferences but at, at a minimum you should talk about the problems that people are facing 
at your press conferences, number one. And number two, you got to give accurate information. Uh, when you have a press conference uh, to reopen the state on the day that unfortunately we face the most deaths and an escalating number of cases, and you actually tell the public that you're reopening because uh, we're seeing a decline, we're on the downward slope, when every model suggests otherwise, that's a problem. Um, and you got to tell people the truth at these press conferences. So are you finding that the broader media, I mean, we're happy to have you on the show and you're talking about really, really important issues. And uh, uh, they're so important that I'm, uh, I'm not taking my usual humorous light approach to, to things um, as, you know, and I, I don't know whether the broader media is, is really focusing on uh, what's really going on with the governor. Are they picking it up? Because you've been, you've been standing strong about all this and making and, and doing, I know you've been doing whatever you can and continue and will continue to make sure these issues are front, front and center as a way to, to try to put pressure on to do the right thing. Are you getting any, is there any traction out there with newspapers and other radio and the New Hampshire media in a broader sense? Um, right now, not, not as much as I, I would hope, uh, to be blunt. Um, and, uh, being blunt but, is okay, by the way, <laughs> but I, but I, but I'm hopeful, Paul, because, um, I think there was a tendency, uh, early on and I wrote a piece early on in this whole thing. We're all in this together. Um, and, you know, and, uh, we need to look out for one another and, uh, and for several weeks, I said, now is not the time to um, necessarily uh, point out uh, how things could have gone differently. Uh, we're beyond that time, uh, in my view. And I think it's really important. And like any good team, people hold each other accountable. And we need to hold Governor Sununu accountable. Um, and we've been doing it in, in subtle ways. Uh, for a long period of time. And now we're being more forceful because we have to be more forceful. And if that's what it takes for the media to pay attention, that's fine too. Um, because these things are too important. Um, they're too important to, to just wait on, uh, wait to the next election. Uh, Sununu needs to step up now on long-term care, on nursing homes, on testing. We're 29th in the nation on testing, last in New England in testing on PPE. He hasn't joined the Northeast Regional PPE Purchasing Partnership. He's choosing to go it alone and he's gonna end up leaving us behind in the process. We need PPE to help our family businesses, to help uh, our workers. Um, and we need an approach that looks out for workers and ordinary people, not advancing things like corporate immunity uh, for workers that are harmed by, by corporations. Uh, we need to look out for ordinary people and and even if it doesn't, you know, end up on WMUR, and instead it's another night of, um, you know, a light questioning of Governor Sununu on WMUR, um, uh, that's fine. We're going to keep at it, and uh, we'll do our best, and all you can do is work hard. We're talking with Dan Feltis on Off the Record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes on WKXL. Dan Thanks for joining us. Stay strong. Keep fighting. Uh, we're with you. All right. Folks, you got it. Take folks, care, guys. 
We'll be back after this short break to hear from the great sponsors who keep this station on the air. Don't go away. We're back. It's Off the Record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXL AM and FM, streaming live over the internet at nhtalkradio.com, podcast on Google, Stitcher, and iTunes. And Matt, we have heard from two really important people in New Hampshire, Andrew Belinsky on the Executive Council, Dan Feltis on the State Senate, a leader, both important leaders in New Hampshire, both Democrats. And while we didn't talk about it with them, both vying in a primary to succeed, be the candidate to take on Governor Sununu, both very clear about issues that they are having with the governor. Um, it strikes me, and I'm betting it strikes you, that we're seeing a microcosm in New Hampshire of what we've seen at the national level. Yeah, I think that's 100% right. You know, it, a lot of the discussion over the last two months has been about sort of the two sides of a coin crisis. There is sort of two crises going on. There's the public health and the economic. But I think, and I just put out a piece around this uh, uh, earlier today, I think there's really three crises that ha- have been unfolding over the last few months that have become really apparent. It's the health, the economic, and the political meltdown we're in and the inability of uh, our federal leaders. And it seems from what we've heard from Andrew and Dan earlier in the show, uh, our state leaders in New Hampshire to really work in a functional and effective way to address the first two crises. And you're seeing it, uh, you know, we've heard pretty clearly from Andrew and Dan here about some of the dysfunction that's happening on the state level. And we know that on the national level, we're seeing rampant cronyism and meltdowns, uh, especially in the small business lending program, but also throughout the federal response. Um, and we have President Trump coming out this week and saying that he wouldn't have any members of his uh, coronavirus task force uh, or any other uh, federal agency heads testify before Congress um, about uh, any of their efforts or submit to any oversight because he views it all as a completely partisan exercise. So there's absolutely no sense of coming together in a crisis and trying to tackle this. And as Dan said, kind of be all in this together. And I shudder to think about the position we'd be in today if we had had that same approach during, let's say, World War II. Uh, It, it, you know, I'm trying to think as we talk about Uh, symptoms and causes. And we have seen the rise of partisan tribal politics to an unprecedented degree, certainly on the national scene. When I went to Congress in 2006, um, just for a little bit of historical perspective, it was the first time there was a Democratic majority in Congress Uh, since 1994, when Newt Gingrich took over, people were complaining back then about the tribalism that was 
uh, infecting Congress and the fact that statesmanship had been replaced by partisanship. It was harder to get things done. Uh, that was then, uh, fast forward uh, 10, 10 years now. And remember back then in 2006, 2008, um, before the great uh, wave of 2010 that the Tea Party engendered and brought um, an awful lot of very far right-wing partisans to the table, uh, the uh, uh, Obamacare was passed without a single Republican vote. Uh, there was Republic, complete Republican opposition to uh, helping the economy at that time during the financial meltdown with the Recovery Act, which now seems like a quaint amount of money, $960 billion, so just, a, just a quaint, not even a trillion dollars. Uh, but the partisanship was, was rampant then. The situation has gotten worse. Now, while President Trump has exacerbated it and probably is both a symptom and certainly a cause, here in New Hampshire, we've had a somewhat different uh, tradition. Um, in, during the financial crisis, if I'm not mistaken, the Joint Fiscal Committee was the body through which funds flowed uh, in recovery and priorities were set uh, at that time through the Joint Fiscal Committee. Uh, now the governor is asserting that he has the authority and we, we heard both Andrew Valinsky from the Executive Council and Dan Feltis uh, talk from the respective positions of their offices about the problems that that creates. I wonder whatever the result of the lawsuit by the legislature and whatever the result of the efforts by the executive council to hold the governor accountable and get information about where the money is going that is coming in from for COVID-19 relief. What do you see as the long-term political implications in New Hampshire for this kind of dispute? You know, I'm sort of baffled to tell you the truth about the line that Governor Sununu has taken here. And I'll draw an analogy to the approach that President Trump has taken. It seems to me that Governor Sununu, governors across the country are better served to try to spread the weight here a little bit and to not have everything be on them. Now, we know that as a pathological narcissist, um, and I'm doing some armchair psychologizing here, I admit it, we know that President Trump is incapable of that. It all has to be about him all the time. It has to be his show, his image. But it, it, at least in a vacuum, it would seem like a smarter, more strategic political tact to take to try and involve members of the other party, uh, your opposing political leaders, have them have some skin in the game with the actions you're taking. It makes you much less vulnerable to the kind of back and forth slings and arrows and criticisms of the approaches you're taking. And so it, it, I, I find the standoff that we talked about in the earlier segments on both, you know, the fiscal committee, the executive council, all of these functions of government, these oversight functions, I find them kind of baffling. I will say one other thing, just going back to an earlier point you were making about sort of the long-term deeper trend that's been unfolding here. It's been well documented 
by political scientists that there has been about a quarter century where it's been really obvious, but the roots go back maybe 40 years. There's been a movement uh, between the parties. It's called asymmetric polarization. The, the amount of polarizing, the amount of moving apart to the partisan extremes, that's, there's been a little that's happened in, 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 uh, among the Democrats that's been documented, but it has just been conclusively shown again and again that it's the Republicans that have gone much, much further to the right. Now, that's been obscured by the fact that there have been some very prominent liberal voices. Uh, the, the rise of Bernie Sanders has made it seem like, oh, you know, there's some parity here. But the reality is that the mainstream of the Republican Party is just much, much further to the right. Well, what does that do? It means that there is no incentive for Republican politicians right now to do anything other than play to their base. They cannot, there's been reporting just this week that Republican senators who are up for reelection, including uh, New Hampshire's neighbor, uh, Susan Collins in Maine, who try to maintain a, a moderate image, have found that there's really no upside to trying to continue down that track. They have to hug Donald Trump and the right wing as closely as possible. It's their only path. That's the underlying problem here. It's the fact that Republican politicians in today's Republican Party have no incentive toward moderation, compromise, or cooperation. Uh, it's, a, it's a problem that uh, left, left where we just left it. You'd say, oh, well, that's a problem. So now we can, we'll deal with it. We'll, uh, we'll be able in the upcoming presidential election to call out the partisanship of the Republican Party. And folks will see that partisanship doesn't work in American politics, that ultimately the people get left behind and, and all the higher instincts, all the profound goodness of the American people will, will come to the fore uh, they will say we, they will clearly reject this kind of 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 total warfare, of scorched earth politics, and they'll say it's time to make a change, and we want to uh, elect politicians who are who are just kinder and gentler, who who see the stars on the American flag, who who really appreciate how democracy ought to work, and and. So we'll go for we'll go for good guys, and and maybe we could find some moderate Republicans and bring back the old-fashioned New Hampshire Republicans who were, oh, they were fiscally responsible and socially moderate, and boy, doesn't that seem like so yesterday? Um, I don't, you know, I I just I, here we are zooming, and and and. Without human contact, we have no idea what this political season will look like. We're heading towards soft reopenings with public health uh, experts uh, warning us that the reopening of the economy means more people dead. I mean, that's just what it means. Reopen the economy too soon, more people dead. It happened in 1918. It's bound to happen here. Uh, and we're seeing armed gangs of protesters, astroturf grassroots, i.e. fomented by 
paid groups um, protesting, keeping things safe and closed. Uh, the scene is not one that would give a political observer comfort about where we're headed in November. Well, I agree with you. And you remember back in the 2008 campaign, President Obama, then Senator Obama, thought that his election would cause the fever to break in Washington, as, as he put it. And he unfortunately was disabused of that um, by the reality of, of what happened uh, upon his election. I don't think, and I don't think President Obama thinks today, that there's any prospect of that happening, even if Democrats win the 2020 election. And even if, you know, the, the experience of President Trump uh, has been sufficiently searing for many Americans to cause them to, to rethink uh, their approach. I, I don't, I, I'm with you. I don't harbor any uh, hope that that's going to happen that soon. These changes in our politics have been generational, multi-generational, and they're going to take some time to unwind. But where I do think that there is hope is you do see attitudinal shifts among younger generations. There's been some reporting just this week about some of the attitude uh, uh, and, and opinion uh, research among young Republicans. Um, so you're seeing in younger generations a different perspective. And over time, perhaps too long a time, but over time, there is a prospect that we will get through this really nasty, polarized, and dysfunctional period in American government. It's off the record with Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes here on WKXLAM and FM. We've had a great show. We are going to take a short break. We'll be back after this. We're back. It's off the record with Paul Hodes and Matt Robeson on WKXLAM and FM, Steve Live at NHTalkRadio.com. Matt Robeson, an author on the alternate.org and the blogger at a moreperfectunionforum.com. We had uh, good guests. We had Andrew Valinsky, executive counselor from New Hampshire, and State Senator Dan Feltis. And you and I had a pretty interesting discussion about where we're headed given the tribalism in our politics. One thing remains clear, uh, we're all in a little bit of trouble and it's gonna take leadership, transparency, integrity, and caring about the people to move us out of this. Folks, we'll be back next week with another exciting show. Thanks to our sponsors and thanks to all of you for listening. From Matt Robeson and Paul Hodes here, Zooming on WKXL AM and FM. We'll see you next week.